if you're moving through a quick vinyasa flow, which we're going to get to as the yang practice, and there's a huge benefit to it. And it has served my life in so many incredible ways. And the balancing piece of the yin really speaks to the part of my practice that I love meditation. Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories, so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation we've had to date. We cover sciencey things like fascia, anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based sciences. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which, let's face it, is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation teaching podcasters that could, aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting, but leave your heart print with every step. Hello, Teresa. Hello, my young friend, Sherry. (laughs) As if we're only one or yin or yang. Hello, Uh, you're not just yin. I'm learning you are yin, but you are so much more than yin. And I feel exactly the same way about you. I know that you mentioned to me that you feel like you are young, but when Yin calls you, it calls you in all the way. It's a strong call. And just, you know, we're talking about Yin and Yang today. We've gone from the koshas. We've just, we've talked about so many things. And so today we're going to like unpack a bit about the Yin and Yang practices of yoga. But before we get into that, we wanted to kind of just address the fact that we've gone through three complete series of kosha talk. You know, we defined it in season one and we had guests and then we we did it again and then we looked at the earth through it. And, you know, we've just the koshas are clearly something that we're passionate about and want to convey. But why? Why all of this? And then now we're moving into yin yoga. Well, the thing about the koshas and we've been able to kind of see a little bit is that we can apply them in every situation. They're the layers of our being. So if our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our shared stories, the stories our bodies hold and tell, then understanding our beingness is important. And the koshas give us a lot of focus and ability to map out our own beingness. I would say bodies, but it includes energy and wisdom and thought and emotions and so much more than just the physical body. So if we can get a hold or at least a tenuous hold on who we are in this world, then we can maybe better see, tell, understand our own stories so we can celebrate them. We can see them. We can tell them. We can mourn them. We can grieve. We can do all the things that our stories ask us to do so that we can let them go and move forward. But I, before I go, I just want to say one more thing. Because that brought up, like we were listening to one of the episodes that we really edited down. and came to us that like these casual conversations that we're having that are being recorded are being recorded. And that often, like if you go see a play, you see the play, it's acted out in front of you and then it's done and you just get to rest in your memory of the play. And you can talk about the things that stuck with you. 
But then everything else kind of dissipates, as I think in some ways it probably should, like these sort of holding on to the, these stories. So, you know, listening back sometimes, the things that we would say that would normally dissipate with memory and with time are there. And so to be responsible for one's words and stories in this format is really hard. It's hard to listen back sometimes. It's hard to hear the misspeaks and the, the things that you'd be like, oh, God, I wish I hadn't said that. But all of that said, it's, you know, what kosha is that on and how do I get to work with that so that moving forward at this point, you know, we can maybe be clearer or more deliberate with the words. Recording kind of reminds me of body work in the way that you just described it in the what do we process and what do we hold on to? And now that we're recorded, we are written out there in the ethers and the universe, <laughs> out in the collective. People will be able to find this. I don't know how long, but, you know, once it's out in the world, it doesn't come back. So the challenge then becomes to be okay with what we said, to embrace our humanness, to be able to process those stories and say, yep, that was the story I told, but maybe I went through a learning transition and that maybe altered it with more information that I didn't once have. But it's the same in body work sometimes when we talk about the stories the body holds and tells. The things and the experiences that we have had, that we had them and off they went. You know, we experienced it and off it went. You know, how many things have happened in our lives that we don't remember? Because they were just events that came, we experienced them, and off they went. But sometimes we hold those memories in our tissues. I taught a class called Issues in the Tissues. Sometimes if I ask the question, I'll ask this. Welcome, listeners. Where do you hold your stress? Where do you hold tension in your body? Most people can point to it. So is that a story that the body is telling? Is that something that was filtered through our koshas, maybe um, an event, an emotion, something that scared us so much that we took that inhale and held it? Is that trapped within those tissues as one of those stories that someday something reminds us of it and the story comes to life once again? just like all the mistakes we've made when we've been recording. <laughs> and, and listening sometimes, it's like the stories that we've told over and over again become patterns and habits. And so sometimes listening back and I think, wow, that, that's just not fresh anymore. When, when's the last time I actually thought about that or had a direct experience that would inform a different way of saying that? And so this is all just really interesting stuff and get stuff that we get to work with. And because we come through a yogic lens, you know, so much of that is about letting go, letting go. And we're going to talk about yin and yang practices, but there's so much crossover. There are so many similar benefits, so many similar qualities, and all in service of letting go, of relaxing, of moving, not relaxing in the way we're just like chilling out and eating bonbons and having a, you know, a smoke somewhere, if that's your thing, but more just to kind of relax into the experience of now. Yeah. And, you know, we do have energies. I have energies that I think define me. And yesterday when you and I were prepping, you mentioned that, you know, even though ultimately I think of myself as a very yin person. And so what is yin? You know, yin is being relaxed and calm and leaning into the feminine energy. But 
kind of a very organizational, structural side of who I am. I have a very expressive left side of my brain, which is, you know, that that organization and those numbers and how do we, you know, get things done is a really strong part of my personality. And so sometimes I can just rest in my calm and ease and relaxation. But also when stuff needs to get done, there's that transition. And I think that's a really important thing that you pointed out to me yesterday is that not only myself, but everybody has this balance of yin and yang energies. They, they co-support each other so that we don't wind up too justified to one side or the other. Yes. And, you know, that examination, though, needs to come up because sometimes like when we're little and we're told who we are, you know, you're so funny or, well, how do you have so much energy or, you know, why did you, things like that that begin to write our stories from someone else's perspective? Mm -hmm. And then those are the stories we retell ourselves. And so at some point we have to sort of re-examine is that up until now, I mean, that's a big thing, like I think in coaching until now, you know, th this is how I've always been. So I go back to the story about going through the list, the tests for the Ayurveda dosha. You know, there's a pitta, vata, and kapha. And they're, you know, air, and which is vata, kapha is earth, and pitta is, what is pitta? Pitta is um, fire. Fire. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> which is so <laughs> funny because when I would take all of those tests and they would ask you the questions and you'd have to answer them, they're very subjective questions. So they're questions that feed into who I think I am. Maybe not from an objective view of, you know, this is actually who you are, what you're doing in this moment, but who I thought I was. And so the image of myself as like this, you know, deadhead hippie chick, you know, chill and totally like, you know, anything goes, all is cool. I never got any pitta, which is so funny that I forgot that it was fire. I got no pitta in any of my tests. So vata kappa is kind of like a, a strange combination, like I'm airy and flitty and like all over the place and yet really earthy and grounded and, you know, not really kind of moving anywhere, uh, which is a total reductionist thing. And there's so much more to it. But then I had an Ayurvedic practitioner who looked at me and was like, honey, you walked in the room. I knew you were pitta vata, you know, and so it made me rethink. And as soon as she reflected that back to me, and again, that was coming from the outside, but it caused me to look in. And I thought, oh, fuck, I have been denying my fire for so long. And once I owned it and retold the story to myself, things opened up, opportunities began to open up. I began to feel a different way of being alive in the world because I was owning who I really am on a fundamental level, even though that can change and things, you know, shift and ebb and flow and all of that. But interesting shit, stories we tell ourselves. My sister, when we were little, told me she didn't like orange lifesavers. So for years, I didn't like orange lifesavers because I was emulating this person who I still revere so much, who I love. And then one day I had an orange lifesaver and I was thinking, this is kind of good. I like the orange lifesavers, <laughs> you know, so to kind of become who I was meant to be, not, you know, who I thought I was supposed to or who I thought I was. Yeah, sometimes those stories I've read in the past, stories that we rethink over and over and over again, whether they're our story about ourselves or from an external source of who other people think we are, when we play them over and over, and this is how long ago I read this, because the author, who I don't remember at the moment, said, 
it's like playing the, rewinding and replaying the VCR tape over and over and over again, is that the brain doesn't know the difference between us thinking about that event and actually being in that event. So it really writes the story into our fabric of form. And that is why I love some of the qualities of yin yoga, because of this ability to sit with ourselves, to notice those stories. Yin yoga has got some beautiful qualities of feeling, you know, feelings of stability and it's unmoving. It's in yin yoga, we embrace stillness and resist the temptations to move and fiddle about. <laughs> um, we, it gives me the opportunity to find the things that are hidden the things that you really have to sit with so that they can be unveiled and uncovered. It is a slower paced movement. And generally for anybody who has been in any of my classes, they all tend to be somewhat slow. Sometimes I never even stand up in the class that it's a really, it is a gentle class. Even if it's not yin, I almost always teach from a very gentle perspective. Well, let's just take a moment though, like yin is slow and it's, you know, often on the ground. Sometimes it doesn't feel gentle because there's, it's uncomfortable. So I don't right. know if you want to take it from there. Just. Yes. So, so my classes were gentle, not necessarily yin is gentle. Yeah. And yes, when you're sitting for three minutes and we were going to go into that later when we came into the house, but when you're sitting for three minutes in a pose, which is what yin is, and obviously you can work up to that time frame. We don't have to start in any particular place. We clearly listen to our body, but some shapes just bring things up. And so what I like about a qual the quality of yin is it gives us time to sit with the, that which is uncomfortable in the same way that we sit with that which is comfortable. And uncomfortable is not accepting that you're in pain in a pose. I want right. to make a clearness. Totally. But sometimes there's just things that are coming up and it gives us a time to sit and understand what boredom feels like, to sit and understand what the juiciest pose feels like, and also to notice when we have these sensations of discomfort or thoughts, emotions arise, and we, I, we get to sit with them and process maybe some of those stories that, as I mentioned earlier, are issues in our tissues. When they come up and we, we gift ourselves the time to sit with them, maybe that's the time that they leave the body and create space. In terms of even like looking at it through the koshas, when people would say that yoga is like a meditation in motion or a vinyasa, that never resonated with me. Because I was always not, I was working on presence, which is something that meditation does, but there was a constant movement and I'll, I'll use the word distraction though. It's not really what I mean, but there was always something different to focus on. There was a steady flow of traveling. Whereas in yin, the first time I did yin was the first time I resonated with yoga, asana and asana practice being meditative for exactly the same things you just said because it gives us the opportunity to work with our boredom. It makes us, you know, be with the discomfort, not the pain, but to be curious about where we're holding things in our body. 
if you're moving through a quick vinyasa flow, which we're going to get to as the yang practice, and there's a huge benefit to it. And it has served my life in so many incredible ways. And the balancing piece of the yin really speaks to the part of my practice that I love meditation, that I love, you know, the, the data that arises from the stillness, the, the growth that arises from the stress of being in a place for three and sometimes three to five minutes. It's not just, you know, um, when I taught yin and I took my yin certification with Teresa, she taught the, the training and then I got to teach and I taught yin and I taught a yin vinyasa, yin yasa class, but that there is something really magical about the yin practice that allows us to unfold, you know, in a really slow, like think of, think of a fucking lotus flower. I don't know how they unfold. I know they come from the muck, no mud, no lotus. Like that's the thing. But there is something really beautiful about that, the time that we get to take for ourselves in a yin practice. So the other quality of yin that I like is that it targets the connective tissue. And I've talked, and so part of the connective tissue system is the fascia. And we've talked in previous episodes of a lot about fascia, but it's our fabric of form that we are writing some of those experiences into. It is also the place that houses our receptors that we experience, you know, different things, our proprioception or interoception. So when it targets this connective tissue, it's asking us to do something different in its quality than we would do in a young practice. And that is to soften the muscles, to allow ourselves to be kind of ragdollish. And I'll talk to that in our practices later. To be a little bit more like a rag doll in the muscular system so that we can transfer the pose or the load into our joints and our ligaments and our tendons to really start to refocus where we want to experience a different, the different poses and to be soft and easeful and in it's very much, you know, yin yoga's qualities are very much like for me personally, like working with the fascia, like myofascial release. You know, we find an edge quality, we adopt stillness at that edge, and then we give it time. And those are the qualities of yin. That's really sweet. You know, and we know that, you know, I there's someone out here listening, probably thinking, well, you know. The tendons, they, they're not as elastic as muscles. And I want to just speak briefly to like the, the anatomy of that, that are there people who should not do yin yoga because of the elasticity of their joints? Because it's not going to come back necessarily. I mean, there's a little bit of give, but it's not as much as with muscles. So is there anything that you want to speak to those who might be concerned about this kind of practice? Who should or shouldn't? And is there a should or shouldn't? So, you know, of course, in yoga, we always say, listen to your body, but we need more information to then listen to your body. So I personally, and, you know, this is my personal opinion, do not think that women who are pregnant should practice yin because they already are working towards laxity through the chemicals that are coming into their body in preparation for birth. So we don't want to increase that. I like to let for me personally, to let the body do what it is designed to do and to support it and take it as my lead rather than become the lead. So that 
Also in the same training that you were in, one of the other women who took the class was hyper, hyper flexible. Like the floor was mm -hmm. too high for her in her forward folds. And for people who are extremely hyper flexible, yin might be practiced in a different way. There's still a benefit to holding the pose or holding a pose or shape for a long period of time for an anti-inflammatory response, for other things that those long-held poses are going to offer. But maybe what a hyper-flexible person would do would be to back out of their end range, to move into their yin pose so much more slow to find those first edges that maybe are not noticed because there's so much ability to come into an end range you know, if we, when we can come into an end range quickly, when we slow that progression down, we may find little bits of information that are stuck in a lesser expression of that pose. The goal, I believe, in any yoga pose is not necessarily to always go to the fullest expression, but to experience each of the different phases of a pose to find out where your body is holding those secret, those stories and let them go. And that goes right back to the koshas. Because yes. if you're hypermobile and you're practicing yin, maybe you're practicing not an anamaya kosha. Maybe you're practicing in pranamaya or manamaya or vignanamaya. Maybe there's a wisdom that you need to get to that isn't about the physical body expressing its fullness. Maybe it's about what's the thought process that gets me to the desire or need to, you know, put my belly button on the ground. Like what, what is that? You know, and so maybe the exploration isn't through the physical body, but using the body as a tool to, to explore other layers of beingness. Oh, this is like, this is why, this is why we're having these conversations. This is, these are the moments where it becomes clearer. Like, you know, why do we come onto our mat? And when we have a why, then everything else kind of falls into place. Then we can say, oh, I'm showing up because I want to feel optimal wellness. So that doesn't just include the body. So what does that mean as I'm practicing? What are the stories that are coming up and how can I tell the story so that I can let it go and fade into memory or into the fascia? <laughs> yes. I'm going to be held in our tissues. <laughs> Sometimes the thing that stops us is discomfort in our body. Sometimes I know for myself, I'll be moving into a pose and I feel like I almost lose my breath. It's like, right? Like that, that inhale, like, oh my gosh. And when I have that sensation, it's exactly what you said. I'm, I'm in a different kosha. Maybe it isn't an injury or a stiffness or a, 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 a past physical hurt mm -hmm. that is stored there. Maybe it's an emotion or a trauma or a joy that, you know, sometimes you're just in awe. So yeah, noticing why something captures our attention and which kosha is, is in right. really just adds this whole nother level and depth to why we show up on our mat or why we take yoga off the mat. Yes. Hmm. So maybe some yangs, yang talk now. What do you think? So, yeah, do a little yang talk. You know, there's a lot of crossover. And when I think of yang, I think of vinyasa flow because, or ashtanga, or something sort of fast paced. But hatha yoga, which is really all yoga is hatha yoga to some degree, but there, hatha, we hold the poses too. Maybe not three to five minutes, but they're longer holds than the, the flow we're accustomed to with vinyasa practice. 
And so I'm curious always about those, those, the distinctions that like the relaxation of the muscles in order to load the joints so that they can, you know, have, create space. But then in a yang practice, we engage the muscles, we protect the joints and because we will be moving, but even in those longer held hatha poses there, I'm still, you know, in that space of curiosity about how long do we hold with the muscular engagement before we need to release it or do we need to release it? Or this is again, part of a personal, I think, practice too. Like, what is it that I want? What is my why? So, you know, the qualities of yang, there's it's strength building and it's flexibility and strength. So one of the things we talked a little bit about yesterday in our preparation was the concept of stira and sukha. And stira and sukha come from the yoga sutras. There are, I think, two, and I always say this too, maybe three, but there are definitely two yoga sutras out of the hundreds of sutras that actually address asana the physical body, Anamaya Kosha, this, this practice that we're doing. But you can also break, like stira and sukha is, stira is effort and sukha is ease to reduce it down completely. You can talk about yin and yang that way too. Stira might be more yang, it's more boundaried, it's more, I, although yin is a little boundaried, but it's, it's got a, a certain energy to it. And sukha, this ease, this relaxation, this letting go, that's, you know, more of the yin practice. And so again, we're never all one or the other. So strength and flexibility, that's yin and yang also right there. Strength is more yang, flexibility may be a little more yin, strength more stira and flexibility more, you know, yin. So this idea of like range of motion. So how, where does that come from? You know, we want to increase our stretching and in yang we do that. But we also do that in yin, you know, but we're doing that through the flexibility of the joints rather than the lengthening of the muscles or the engagement of the muscles. But again, it, it's not an either or. Like there's, again, all this crossover. So both practices relieve stress and anxiety. You know, we're using our bodies and all of the other layers of our koshas to engage ourselves in the world. But if we're moving a little faster, there's going to be some cardiovascular benefits and qualities. So benefits and qualities, they're they're, you know, they're often interchangeable and also circulation, blood flow in the body. You know, sometimes it can get a little stagnant. I love every day in my practice, I put my legs up in the air, not mm. it's legs up the wall without the wall, but to reverse the flow of the blood. Sometimes it can pull at the ankles. We've got the lymph nodes in the ankles. I'm pointing to my armpit, but in the ankles and they doesn't have a pump. You got to move it. You've got to move it in order to get it to activate. And so yang is an activator, the way I look at it. Helps with focus and concentration, even as we're moving, because the practice is to be present and to focus on where we are in any given moment. The data that arises in yang may arise differently than it does in yin because there's movement as opposed to stillness, but we're still paying attention to what's going on energetically in our bodies. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the qualities. So we talked a little bit about before in another episode about a sun salutation. And there are many different ways of practicing sun salutations. There's A, there's B, there's half, there's some with lunges, some without lunges. And, but they all have the opportunity to incorporate forward folds and back bends. And I think in a very well-balanced way, I know Teresa, you had said you feel that it's a lot of forward folds and it may be depending on how we're practicing them. But there's an opportunity to engage in a backbend alternatively in each one. But there is flow. So 
I know that when I was taught, I was taught that back bends are about the future and forward folds are about the past. Because when we forward fold, we're, we've already been there before. So there's something past about it. I had someone come to my class and say she learned it the opposite way. I'm here to say that who gives a shit, really? I mean, in some places, the left side is feminine, right side is masculine. In other traditions, it's switched. I think the key is whatever belief system we're holding, we get to, to look at it through that lens. And so what is going on? If backbends feel like future to you, what is the energy that comes into the backbend? I think it's more about the future because you're going somewhere you haven't been before and you're opening your heart to it and it's vulnerable and it's scary, but that may also bring in qualities for someone else's past. So, you know, I, I tread lightly around these, this is what this means and this is what that means mm. because there is so much connective tissue. I'll use that as a metaphor for, you know, the qualities and benefits of these different practices. Yeah. And you had mentioned that there's so much overlap between the two yin and yang. That's why they're so beautifully complementary to enhancing how our body works and how our systems function. I'll use the cardiovascular system because mm -hmm. you talked about like the blood flow and the legs up the wall without the wall or with the wall in yin. Or with the wall. Right. So which way are we going to go? But also they address these different systems in different ways, which I think the more comprehensive we can be in facilitating how the body moves and works, the more efficiently that's going to happen. So for cardiovascular, yin yoga targets the organ meridians. And in the art lines, the organ meridians are the heart, the lungs, the large and small intestines. And so when we do all of these expansive heart openers, our target in a class that is designed to work with those meridians is helping the cardiovascular system, but it's differently. It is doing it through stillness and, and time and opening and allowing any blockages within those meridians to have the time they need to ease, relax, let go in a much different way than a vinyasa flow class is going to get that blood pumping and the heart moving. So the two complements still are heart focused and heart enhancing and the cardiovascular system. We're looking to really remove any blockages and to give that heart muscle a workout so that it remains strong because it's a muscle like other muscles in our body. So in yang, we're exercising that muscle in a different way that maybe in yin, we're giving it a chance to relax and calm down and remove some of the blockages in a completely different way. So that's why they're so beautiful together. Why, you know, having both practices are important because we are focused on the body, mind, the spirit, the breath. But they, they, what word do I want to use? They communicate with those systems in our body in different ways. Yeah. <sighs> so one of the things we talked about yesterday too was, you know, how do we find balance? You know, is it about doing the opposite of what we are coming in with? Or is it about nurturing the energies that we are coming in with? When I say coming in, coming into the space, the room, onto the mat, into the your world, wherever that is. 
And so, you know, for part of it as a teacher, you walk in, you see people are chit-chatting and they looks like it's, you know, a cocktail party when you walk in. And, you know, sometimes you can decide to say, all right, I'm going to work with this energy. I'm going to put on some rock and roll. We're going to do some fast paced movement and then we'll slow down near the end and find that juicy spot between the the action and the stillness. Or maybe this incredibly frenetic energy is met with what we both have had teachers who have just walked right into the front of the room and sat down and waited and allowed for the people to calm down and to bring the energy down on its own and then work from there. Or to be able to put on music, to manipulate the atmosphere in a way that is conducive to whatever spirit you want to put in as a teacher. But what is balance and how do we find it? And so that's why we look through the koshas. That's why we're looking at all of these different maps. And I know, Teresa, at one point you said, I love overlaying maps on things and looking at patterns and seeing how they arise. And so the more information we have, the more we can kind of work with our stuff. And so in the spirit of like telling stories through the body and then working, bless you, working with those stories, you know, what, how do we, how do we know where to start? You know, sometimes it's, you know, okay, this is all very well and good, but how do I know if it's my thoughts and not my body? Because sometimes it's, that's a fine line. It's hard to, to see. So, you know, we look at our posture sometimes. We talked about this in, in season one, I think if your shoulders are forward, season two, full, you know, forward folded, if your head is dropped, if there's you know, sort of a downward experience, that's going to give some data as opposed to someone who's open arms wide and like head to the sky and ready to like nesty plunge into any pool. You know, so what is your posture? What is your breathing pattern? You know, are you pooping every day? Are you, how's your digestion? You know, like the different systems of our body will give us data if we can slow down and take a look at it. So then we can decide which practice would be best. Is it if I'm feeling agitated and inflamed, maybe I really do want a yin practice so that I can sit and be with things as they are without feeling like I need to overcome anything. Sometimes in a faster paced class, it's we lose some of that, that potency, but it, it's transferred into a different kind of potency. So, you know, there's always something to learn, but where do we go? Yeah. And both of these practices can be challenging in much different ways. Sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, they just have to go and sit on the floor. But it has... <laughs> it is to laugh. It is to laugh. <laughs> we have um, different places in our body, mind, and spirit, and breath that are being challenged by different activities that we are experiencing. So yang might be challenging in the... And I'm going to use yang in a vinyasa flow class. There's up, there's down, there's arm balances, down dogs, push-ups, there's strength and flexibility and the balance of them. And that can be challenging while we're conditioning our body. So, uh, you know, I'm saying just Anamaya Kosha, which is clearly not just Anamaya Kosha. But as we're conditioning and building that strength, at least I know, sometimes things came up for me like ego. Oh, I have to keep going, even though my breath is telling me I'm exhausted and I should come into child's pose and take a breath and catch up with the class later. I had to deal with the ego of, no, I want to see what's going on on that mat next to me and make sure I'm doing this right. I mean, I grew out of that, but in the early days, you know, before I really understood all of these different layers and what I was really doing, which was doing the person next to me's practice, not mine. 
So that would be the challenge there. In yin, you know, I know so many people who say, I can't sit still. So their challenge is learning how to embrace stillness and find a way to just sit with it. So, you know, there's so much overlap, but really I think what it is, is there's so much balance between the two. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up a story that I hadn't thought about in decades when you were talking about looking on the mat next to you. And this one came not so much from ego, but from needing clarification. When I was little, I took a ballet class. I think her name was Madame Friedlander at the uh, Alberthorpe Manor in Elkins Park. It was Elkins Park, Jenkintown. Anyway, I had never taken ballet before. And I, I, I'm more of a, an interpretive dance person, although I didn't know that then. But so I'm going in, I'm, I think, eight or nine years old. And I've never, I've never heard French before. I've never taken ballet. And she is speaking in French the whole time and not, not teaching. She's sort of leading. Maybe I came in the middle of the year. I don't know. But I hadn't really learned any of these, these steps or pas de berets or jetés or, you know, whatever, first position, third position. And so I had to look at other people so that I could see what they were doing so that I wasn't completely lost. And she would yell at me every time, look at your own, look at your own, don't look at other people or, you know, and I'm, I'm probably fabricating a little bit, a little hyperbolic in my head because I don't really remember specifically, but I remember the feeling and I remember being told to stay in my lane, so to speak. And I remember one day I was after school and I was so hungry and my stomach was growling and she's like, whose stomach is that? Who's growling? And I'm thinking, oh shit, like nothing about the experience made me want to return. And it's a shame because not that I think I could have been a prima ballerina, but that was a body practice that taught me not to really, you know, love my body or be in the space where I could thrive. It was very, it was a very tiny, tiny container that she was holding. And at least maybe in my tiny mind, that's how I remember it. And, but I wonder if that experience somehow informed the early days of my own yoga practice, mm. how I showed up on my mat, you know, did I eat beforehand because I didn't want my belly to growl or did I not give a shit at that point? I don't even know, but this is something I'm going to now take a little look at as I practice. Yeah. See how those, uh, when we start opening up some of those file cabinets in our brain, these stories that are, you know, in there yeah. come out in so much detail of that experience and other Things that maybe we've processed and didn't make such a big impression upon us, they don't come back the same way. For me, like maybe, when we're think that's how I became a clown, though. Maybe oh. that's when I was like, fuck tradition. I'm going to just leap across the stage. And I've got other stories about that, too. So that is interesting. Maybe I was that was meant to happen so that I could become who I was meant to be, but not a prima ballerina. <laughs> Right. Sorry, go ahead. You were about no, to no, that's great because it does. <laughs> it tells us, you know, when you look at different stories that have happened throughout our life, sometimes we don't see how they change the trajectory of our life until we come all the way years later and look back and go, oh, that's when I started to change my path or when I embraced whatever that is, maybe the clown, the jester was the end result of that. And she was just somebody in your path to let you find that archetype within yourself. We've talked about archetypes back in previous episodes. But, you know, what are these stories? For me, one of the stories, because our stories and our life are experienced through so many different things. 
through our muscles and our skin and our organs. There's this whole list of how we experience the world. And so skin, I'm going to take skin because that's the one that I pay attention to a lot. I love being outside. Keisha hadn't heard that before. And when I was a kid, we had a pool and there was nothing better than I liked than spending time in the pool. And, you know, I bet my mom liked that too, because she had eight kids. So if we could go out and she could watch us in the pool or my older siblings could, you could entertain eight kids in one very small space. <laughs> but I did. I loved swimming. I loved being out in the sun. I liked this, the sensation of the warmth of the sun touching my skin. I liked the idea that it amps up my vitamin D because in the winter, I'll notice that that's down if I forget to take my supplements, which I do sometimes. And that depletion of vitamin D, it, you know, just changes my personality and how I feel. So I went from this, I love the sun touching my skin in pre-sunscreen days from something that I loved to often having sunburn. So I, would, I loved it. And I can remember, you know, getting blisters. My mom would be, you know, keep reminding me, put your t-shirt on in the pool, put your t-shirt. And I was like, but I like the sun all the way to having skin cancers, which my doctors say are an, a result of burns earlier in my life. So my skin has stories of both so much joy of playing out in the sun, swimming in my pool with my siblings to at night going in and going, oh, I got so much sunburn. It's hard to lay on my sheets to, oh no, no, I have to have parts of it cut off. So, so many different stories in just one little system of my body and one yeah. small lens to look at it through. Hmm. Yeah. Pre-sunscreen days. Yeah. Baby, baby oil days. I know you didn't do the baby oil, but I feel like I have constellations on my body now as a result of that. Not so much thankfully, skin cancer. But when I said to the dermatologist or doctor the other day, I was like, yeah, getting older, I've got all these new marks on my body. They're like, yeah, those are from previous sun exposures. And so I wonder what story those constellations would tell. I know that, you know, a lot of people talk about the hips holding emotion. And I, I wonder about that. I've never cried in a hip opener. I've never had an emotional aha moment during a hip opener, though I have had them in classes. I, and I wonder if it's that that there's a place in the hips, you know, we talk in the, and I, I'm hesitant even to talk about chakras anymore since I was called out, but like, let's talk about it from a psychological lens rather than a tantric lens. And we'll say that the Svadhisthana chakra point at the hips, you know, which is watery and flow and creative and sexual and birthing and all of that, that there's a lot that emotional, like water is emotional. And if that's the element of that space, Yes, I can understand why we might apply that. And if people do have that experience, but we talked about fascia, we talked about the body holding on to things that maybe it's not just the hips that allow us for an emotional release. Mm -hmm. Maybe for me, it's under my left shoulder blade where I tend to hold things, you know, that becomes that space of, oh, I'm open now that when my shoulder blade is released, I can open my heart more and I can be more loving. So maybe that's where my thing is. So, you know, we're, we're told stories also when we're in classes. This is where you'll release that. This is where you'll feel this. This is where you'll have that experience. And when we don't have that experience, 
we create a new storyline in our own experience, in our own memoir, in our own autobiography that may or may not be rooted in anything that matters or that's real. And so to be discerning too, I've said this on this podcast, I have a tendency to fall in love with my teachers. And I don't mean that in an icky way, but that sense of surrender that we have when we fall in love, that I surrender my own discernment sometimes to the wisdom that I believe is further down the road than I am. And, you know, I always say I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I never want to be the best person in the room at any given thing, because then it means that I've kind of reached the pinnacle and I don't ever really want to be there. I, I want to learn and experience from all the the people and teachers and experiences that I've been offered. And so when I choose a teacher, there's usually a reason. Sometimes I regret the fall, <laughs> the surrender, <laughs> and I think, oh, you know, I was played there or maybe I shouldn't have, you know, released or surrendered that much. But so when you're told that you're to feel something in a certain place or experience something and you don't, you're right. <laughs> you get to experience it exactly where you're experiencing it. And maybe you have a new chapter or a preface to add to the next story or some epilogue that had not yet been written. So as we tell stories, and I'm a writer, I love to write. So all of this is, you know, a never ending epic that we continue to write every day through our perceptions, through our koshas, through our practices, through all of it. So there, that's your permission to just be as if I have any power over that. We all have a different experience and, you know, there is cueing for yin and yang in the class, but the cueings can be suggestions. As a teacher, I always like to be sure that nobody in my class is in any shape that could be potentially injurious. But along the way from the beginning cue to the fullest expression of a pose, that's an entire journey of noticing and being okay with not wanting, even if you have the ability to go to this beautiful, fullest expression of whatever you think that pose looks like, some days the story or the experience is in the smallest expression of the pose. And I learned that with my very first teacher. She said, if you are half an inch in the pose, you're in the pose. Yeah. So, you know, where is your story? Where's the part of this journey that is calling you to learn more about self, to yes. dive a little bit deeper into your own experience and be okay with, you know, somebody else having their nose on the floor in their forward fold where I just came two inches ahead in my hinge and found something that said, hey, why don't we hang out together for a little bit here and be okay with that? So maybe we should go into some practices unless well, you I have wanna, something. I, wanna, I just want to quickly go into my, my, pot, my pot roast story because you mentioned cueing and cueing is really important and it's a skill. It's a hard skill that we need to learn. We also need to learn to be present, I think, so that we're not always operating from a lineage of cues, but a lineage of wisdom, where the cues arise from. So the story that I tell in every single training I'm in, when we go around the circle, why are you here? Why are you here? This is a story my mom or my dad told me. I forget who told the story, but um, it's a joke. And it's, you know, a little kid is watching his mom make a pot roast. I'm vegan. So for this, it's, it'll be a vegan pot roast. And um, sees the mom cut the meat off at each end. I says, okay, mama, why did you cut off the meat? Says, well, that's how my mother did it. 
So next time she saw grandma, she says, Grammy, why did you cut the meat off when you make the pot loaf? Well, that's how my mom made it, pot roast. So luckily this little girl has the great, 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 great grandmom and is able to ask every single one in that lineage, why did you cut off the meat? Why did you cut off the ends of the pot roast? Gets to the last one and she says, the pan was too small. Well, you know, if we think we're cutting off the ends of the meat because it's going to make it tastier or juicier, or somehow more nutritious, then we're missing the point. Like it didn't start that way. The, the lineage came from the pan was too small. So I, my curiosity leads me to want to know why this cue, why this body, why this here? And I'll be honest, I've gotten lazy over the years and my curiosity has waned. And so I have been caught in the cycle of telling old stories and repeating cues because I've heard my teachers tell them, or that's always how it's been. And, you know, I'm going to just stray a little bit, just a little bit here, but it's still in the thing. The way it's always been is a statement that invites toxicity. The way it's always been is permission to not grow. The way it's always been is permission to not be critical thinking about it. And that is not just limited to yoga. That is everything in our world. It's always been, I'm never going to change. This is the way it is. I don't know. Maybe it is, but let's look at it through fresh eyes or through kosher layers, whatever. But I just felt the need to say that because we'll often hear, you know, you just use my words, talk, you know, this is how it, you can say it like this. And, but unless you understand why you're saying it like that, and I am guilty also for not always understanding why I say things. And so I think this is a really important reminder to take a fresh look. Yeah. Taking a fresh look is, you know, stepping out of that rope pattern. And sometimes that's not easy, but thank you for the reminder because it's important. <laughs> anytime, sister, anytime. Yes, it is definitely important to remember that there's always another view. So it's, uh, it's like stopping, like... My kids, one last story. We went to Yosemite and we were driving. And as soon as we got into the park, it was the first time I was there. And all I wanted to do was stop, see each new thing. Like every time the car turned a corner and there was this new view, I was like, can we stop? Oh, look at this overview. Can I stop and get out? Can I take a picture? Can I stop and get out? Oh my gosh, look at that overview. Look at, look at that, that mountain. Oh my gosh, there's an animal. And finally, my kids were like, do we have to stop every 10 feet and get out of the car? <laughs> so sometimes there's still too many views. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're seeing is different than what they're seeing. I remember my sister in family trips, my mother was always like, look over here, look over here. She was always seeing things and her imagination was captured constantly and she wanted to share it with us. And I remember my sister once saying, I want to see what I'm seeing. You know, I don't always want to see what you're seeing. And then sometimes you miss the big thing. You're like, oh, fuck, what did I miss? But I remember like that, my sister is filled with wisdom. And when I listen to her sometimes in my memory of the things she said, I think, wow, she knew that at such a young age. She knew that her experience was just as valid. She knew that her attention was being captured by something that was meant for her. And, um, but she's also the one who taught me when we would go to places and there'd be like a long line. And other tellers or whatever would be open. She'd say, let's go here. She'd say, but the line is here. She'd say, they're all sheep. They're just going there because the person in front of them was there. And we'd get right to the front of the line because there was no one there. She was, she's always been my guide for being present in that way. And, and she's not a yogi necessarily in the formal practices, 
but she's a yogi and the way that she shows up in the world. My mom was like, and my dad, like, it's so funny that once you have a language or, you know, an anchor in something, you can see that it's, you don't have to define people by the same category, but you can see how the qualities are universal. And it comes back to our mission, connecting the individual to the collective through our shared stories. But our shared stories don't have to come from the same container. So let's do a little practice because we are really coming up on the end of our time. Do you want to do young first or shall I do you a little practice? Well, I was just going to offer a sun salutation. So if you want, I can do that first. Sure. Um, okay. I'm not going to, I will verbalize it and I will verbalize a couple of different things. So the half sun salutation, stand in Tadasana, stand in mountain pose, both feet firmly on the ground, all four corners of your feet, the three arches of your feet. And we can, you know, if we were in a class, it would be much longer and much more descriptive. And then find yourself just noticing your breath. Inhale, take your hands to the sky. And as you exhale, fold forward, hinging from the hips. Now, if you were just going to do a half sun salutation, you would come up halfway with a flat back, exhale, fold. And then you would inhale, come all the way back up with hands to the sky and exhale, hands to the heart. So linking breath with movement. Inhale, hands to the sky. Exhale, fold forward, hinging from the hips. Inhale, lengthen. Now you have the option when you come up in the half one to do a back bend at the top. I didn't mention that. You're, this time you're going to exhale, hold forward, place your hands on the ground, and step back into a high plank, top of a push-up. And then you're going to exhale, slowly lower down onto your belly, and you can come into a cobra, a sphinx. I won't say upward dog because we didn't, we didn't come in through chaturanga. We just went all the way to the ground. And then after you come into your cobra or your sphinx, you're going to exhale down. You're going to come into child's pose. So take your hips back to your heels. Let your arms extend long in front of you. And just take a moment here. Take a breath. And on your next inhale, come through table and up into downward facing dog. Now I'm giving you poses. I'm not giving you a lot of instruction. Just giving you the basic shapes and the basic movements. The bottom of your next exhale, you'll step forward, whichever foot first. Inhale, lengthen your spine. Exhale, fold. And inhale, rise. And at the very top, option to lift up through your hands and engage your legs, your core, your pelvic floor as you lift your heart and reach back into as big or as small of a back bend as feels good. And as you exhale, draw your hands to your heart. There are options where you can come into lunges on each side. There's you know, you can do A and B. There's all different kinds of ways to do sun salutations. I invite you, I invite you as if it's my party to invite you to, but go to YouTube, you know, look, Google it, find different ways of doing sun salutations. There is simple sequence that will allow you to access that flow with a certain amount of ease and, and repetition. Like and once you get the flow, you're in it. Do it a few times, see how you feel. Thank you. I was doing it along with you and some of those. So even though I see that I was doing a seated sun salutation <laughs> so that I could get my body to And stretch. you can do that in a chair. Sit forward on the chair. Inhale, hands up. Exhale, hold forward. Inhale, come up halfway. Exhale, fold. Inhale, come back up. Like you can just synchronize your breath with your movement. If you're sitting in a chair, you can do it there too. And you can end with a simple seated ragdoll pose where you just release and let go of all of those muscles and roll down, whether you're on the ground or in your seat, 
let the spine fold forward, the head drop, let all of those muscles get soft. Notice where your soft edges are. This is what we're looking for. Coming to a pose at the appropriate depth to notice a soft edge. And then come to stillness and hold the pose for, eh, I like to get work up to three minutes. Sometimes if I'm in my favorite pose, I might even keep it all the way up into five. If you've got something like osteoporosis, then maybe that ragdoll pose is not one for you where we're collapsing into the front of the spine. Maybe if that's your case, you would be sitting in your chair, feet on the ground, feet flat right in front of you, and then just hinge forward at the hips, respecting all of the natural curves in the spine. So maybe a little bit more muscle engagement to protect the front of the spine would be a great option. And then hold it and come to stillness. Maybe set a timer. And if you choose, set the timer for three minutes. If something happens where you're like, I'm in pain or I just can't do this anymore, remember, it's your practice. You can make it shorter and work up to time as you continue to practice. And we will put in the show notes, I do have a forest bathing yin practice on the YouTube channel. We can link that. And if you want to step outside with me and take a yin yoga class, just click on that link and that can be our offering for today. I love that. I want to just also say this, if you are typically a young practitioner and you're working with yin, be really curious where you engage your muscles, where the habit of engagement is. That was my experience. I had so much teaching around young practices of protecting and engaging. So in backbends, I would have engaged legs and engaged core, not overly like we're not cracking any nuts, but you know, <laughs> we're just engagement. But in yin, there's, you're, re you're releasing all of that. So be curious about your body's habits because you'll show up or I showed up engaged where I needed to relax. And it made it a much more difficult practice to inhabit it first before I realized what I was actually doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much to learn in yeah. all that we do. So until next time. Until next time and pay attention because the Bucks County Yoga Fest is coming up. This is dropping on the 4th of May. The Yoga Fest is May 20th, and it's at the Silver Lake Nature Center in Bucks County here in Pennsylvania. It's going to be fucking amazing. There are so many teachers and vendors and food trucks, and Trina, who is setting this up, is a freaking rock star. So if you're in the area or you can travel here, we'll also put that in the show notes and in our newsletter. So join us on May 20th for Kosha Yoga. A little young, a little young. We'll, we'll bring it all together then. <laughs> Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, 
Keith Kenny for our fun music and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time. Thank you.